Greetings, sapiens. This is Chance Gilliam, welcoming you to the Chance by Chance podcast. Our guest today is Laura Zabel, the Executive Director of Springboard for the Arts, an economic and community development organization for and by artists, based in St. Paul and Fergus Falls, Minnesota. She was a Bush Foundation Fellow, named one of the 50 most influential people in the U.S. nonprofit arts, and received the 2012 Visionary Leader Award from the Minnesota Council of Nonprofits. Laura's work continually brings her face-to-face with an enormous array of Minnesota community members and all across the country to speak at convenings like the Aspen Ideas Festival, the Urban Land Institute, and Americans for the Arts. From this wealth of experiences, she shares perspective on the strengths and weaknesses of our systems and institutions in the state. We focus specifically on the 2008 Legacy Amendment to our local constitution, which laid the foundations for our culture today. You can find all links and resources in the show notes to this episode. But for now, please enjoy my conversation with Laura Zabel. Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me at Springboard. It is good to be back. It's been a while. (laughs) I want to start just by letting the audience, and me too, get to know a little bit about you, what your passions are, and how your role at Springboard allows you to to fulfill those. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so my background is in theater, uh, and I've been doing theater in some way really my entire life, <laughs> uh, and went to school for theater at the University of Kansas, um, and mostly focused on acting um, and writing, And but I also got a really great um, education there in terms of the kind of arts management piece. It wasn't that's not what they called it, and there weren't specific classes in that, but I had a lot of opportunities to help with the running of the university theater, and I worked in the box office and, and house manager and um, had a special scholarship that was kind of about helping to run auditions and like working in the theater department. Um, so I had all of these experiences that at the time I didn't really know Um, what those things added up to or that that had a name, but (laughs) I was lucky to have those experiences. And I moved to um, Minneapolis right after I finished school uh, to be an actor here at a touring educational children's theater company. Um, So I spent a year doing that, uh, and it was a great reason to move um, to the Twin Cities. I'm from Kansas originally and get to kind of know the lay of the land and understand the theater community here a little bit more and like get paid and everything which was amazing right out of college yeah (laughs) um so i did i toured with that company for a year and then when my acting contract was up uh, i got a job at that same theater company as the assistant to the executive director so i was her assistant helping with um, any kind of administrative stuff and that was very much like still my day job and I was doing acting uh, still as well a lot of theater um, and uh, spent a bunch of time at the Brave New Workshop there uh, that was a big part of sort of how I came up in the theater community here that's where I met my husband and a lot of lifelong friends and people I still perform with uh, and then eventually started working at another community arts organization called Compass and I was a grant writer there, just helping them with fundraising and, and writing grants and stuff while I was performing. Um, and while I was at Compass, it was really that I started to think about that I always had sort of felt called to 
do something that was about the whole of the arts and that my own artistic practice was really important to me, but that I also really felt pulled towards something that maybe had a more kind of system level view mm-hmm. of the arts and where I could really um, make an impact in a different way. Uh, and so it was while I was at Compass that the job at Springboard, the executive director job, was open, and I saw the job announcement. And at that time, Springboard was um, very, very small and uh, pretty much on the edge of going out of business. <laughs> and um, But there was something about the idea that that was a job that was about helping other artists that really appealed to me. And I said to my husband, well, that's I'd like to be doing something like that in 10 years. Um, and he said, well, maybe you should apply for it. <laughs> and so I did, and it just um, it just ended up being a really good fit for a number of reasons. Um, one of which that I think is important, so I've been at Springboard now 12 years, and one of the things that I think is important is that I was, you know, I was really young when I got that job and didn't really have any experience on paper that qualified me for that job, and so the organization was taking a huge risk on me. Hmm. Um, but they took that risk First of all, because they didn't really have any other choices. Uh, <laughs> you know, like it wasn't a super desirable job at the time. Um, <laughs> um, but also because they really know, knew that they needed to change and they wanted to kind of reinvent the organization. And so they really decided to kind of um, take this risk on somebody who was not super prepared, but I had a lot of energy, <laughs> a lot of ideas and... Um, so we've been able to like grow and change together and, yeah. you know, the organization's grown a ton in the last 12 years and I feel like I'm still constantly learning how to do the work and, and I really use all those theater skills in my job all the time because that's, that's the only training I had to do this. <laughs> yeah, I want to uh, look at that decision to go into uh, a job where you had a, a broader view of everything mm-hmm. because I picked up on that same point you made when talking to your husband Levi during the, the old Pratt Falls episode, and you said that you had had the desire to be an actor for a lot of your life. Like you grew up as a kid doing mm-hmm. it all through high school, obsessed with theater. Yeah. And I, I'm in a similar position where I've, I, my background's in theater. I love performing, but I feel like there's more ways than I can contribute besides just to one audience at a time. Mm-hmm. I'm curious just what your internal dialogue was like, kind of making the transition from, oh, I am going to be an actor to maybe this is not for me. Mm -hmm. I could do something more productive. Yeah, I think, um, like, there isn't one sort of specific moment. You know, it was a gradual evolution of sort of thinking about what success looked like for me. Um, And I think, you know, there's a couple pieces of that. One is that I think it takes a while to, to sort of adjust to that idea. I think if you've been... In, in any art form, but if for me, like being in theater my whole life and really pursuing that and being really single-minded for a long time, like <laughs> really sure of myself. Like I always think about if I have a regret about my life, it's that when I was in college, I really didn't pay attention to anything that wasn't theater. <laughs> and I feel like, oh, it was really a missed opportunity. <laughs> um, but I was just so sure of what I wanted. Um, but part of that being sure was that I didn't know what other options there were. Mm. And, you know, I knew, I think, down, you know, underneath that surety was the idea that I knew I wanted to make a life in the arts. But I didn't really know what other things that could mean besides mm. being an actor. 
Um, and so I think it took a while to sort of understand what the options were and what else was out there. Um, and I think it also, you know, it for me, it took a while to adjust to the idea that um, I think, you know, sometimes when you're so sure about something that giving up on that idea feels like a failure or like you're sort of giving up that part of what you wanted or your sort of dream of what your future would look like. But then the other thing that I think I've learned is that it isn't, those decisions aren't either or situations. Um, you know, now Springboard is an organization. Every person on the staff is a practicing artist, and that includes me. Um, and I think, I think as an artist, one thing I learned pretty early on was that I was somebody that, for me, it was more important to me to make work that I cared about than to make money from my acting. And so... Like, there are plenty of artists, actors included, who define success by being able to support themselves from their art, hmm. from their art practice. Um, but, you know, for an actor, that means, especially a young actor, that usually means taking on, you know, jobs that are, like, maybe fun, but not sort of the art you want to make, commercial gigs, Definitely. or, like, you know, wearing a costume at a theme park. <laughs> um which are totally valid things that many, many of my good friends have done with much success. But that just wasn't what felt like success to me. I was interested in making work that I cared about or making work that, um, you know, said something or playing roles that I really was interested in and cared about. And so I'd already kind of knew that about myself as an artist. So thinking about like, well, what do I want to do to make money <laughs> to support myself so that I can make the kind of work I make? Somewhere that sort of evolved into finding this thing that is, that I definitely don't think about my work at Springboard as a thing I do to support myself so that I can be an actor. I still do some acting, but that feels to me like these sort of joyful side projects that I can do because they're fun or because they're with people I really want to work with or, or because I get to work with my family or whatever. Um, but the work of Springboard has really become the work that I care the most about in the world and the work that I feel like is the place where I can make an impact. And I think, um, so it isn't, there wasn't like a sort of linear decision process or process where all of a sudden I had a revelation that this was what I, you know, you just sort of try things and one thing leads to another and you kind of keep pursuing the things that you feel like feed you. And now like looking back on it, <laughs> of course, you know, things tend to make sense in retrospect, <laughs> but there are things, you know, even about my really early, you know, when I was much younger, like in high school, things that I did that I see now, like, oh, that's connected to what I do now. Like when I was in high school um, in Kansas, I organized this uh, theater event where I brought together all these different theaters in my town and it was a benefit for AIDS research because it was in the 90s. Um, and now I think about like, oh, you know, I didn't, I couldn't have articulated then why I was doing that, but that's kind of the same reason that I make the work I do now, mm -hmm. which is about like, how do you bring together groups of artists and how is art a part of these bigger community issues? And how are we really stepping into our responsibility as artists to address the big issues of our time and address systemic inequities and fix broken systems and make change and, and work towards social justice? So I, I think now I can see like, oh, this thing I'm doing now is really, is there is a line between the things I've done in the past and what I've always been interested in and what I'm doing now. I just didn't know that this thing existed. Um, 
because we've mostly made it up as we've gone along. I was going to say, like you said, it, it, uh, it wasn't what it is now when we started. No. Yeah. yeah. I'm just going to wait. Sorry for that about to pass. that. It's, it's not very uh, audio friendly, our space. It's cool though, the exposed ceiling. Yeah. I always love it. And the pipes and everything. This building <laughs> used to be. Um, it held, uh, it was a warehouse for the railroad, and they stored molasses in big barrels. Whoa. And so if there's a plumbing problem or if it gets really humid, I mean, you can see the dark stuff on the beams. Molasses drips out of the beam still because wow. it would, like, spill and be absorbed into the wood. And then it drips all over. <laughs> and there's you need a, an umbrella almost. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so for someone who hasn't grown up in the arts or received any... Uh, training whatsoever mm -hmm. how do you explain the role that art plays in a community mm -hmm. um, one of my favorite places to start with that conversation is um, there's an artist named Alan Capro who defined art as the weaving of meaning making in our everyday lives and I love starting with a conversation about meaning making that art is just about how we make meaning of what it means to be a human person and our relationships and our lives and our struggles and our pain and our joy um, and that that's not I think that I the reason I love that definition is that it feels really it's both sort of a beautiful way of saying it but it's also really practical that's something that everybody understands um, and it's not this kind of separate thing that you have to go experience you know, exclusively in a theater or in a concert hall or a museum. It's really about our everyday lives. Um, so I start there, and I also usually start by trying to kind of unearth what that person's creative practice is because mm. they always have one. Whether they almost always start by saying, I'm not an artist, and then you dig a little deeper and they're in a choir or they draw or they mm. quilt or they play piano or, you know, and they just, I think, because of how we've sort of structured the conversation around arts, they haven't felt like they had permission to call themselves an artist or to identify that as an art practice. But, you know, creativity is a sort of universal human quality. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I usually start with those kinds of things in terms of, like, what does your life look like and what do you care about rather than, you know, what some other person's definition of art might be or some heady concept right or what they maybe the assumptions they've made about what art is um mm. i've done this talk before where i show this slide of like a google image search to artist and it's like a thousand cartoons of a little guy in a beret like that's what people think of when you say that word <laughs> you know that little cartoon beret and a little paint palette um <laughs> <laughs> but it's a lot more than, than that. And, Definitely. And, and when you say artist, people think of that little image, but they also don't think of themselves. And I feel like that's part of kind of my mission and Springboard's mission is to help change their perception of who artists are and, and hopefully get them to include themselves in that definition more often. So it seems like Minnesota is especially conducive to thriving artists. Um, can you talk to me about the 2008 amendment to the Minnesota Constitution and what exactly mm -hmm. that did for the Twin Cities? Yeah, it's a pretty amazing story. Um, so in 2008, uh, there was a coalition of a bunch of different advocacy groups that included Minnesota Citizens for the Arts, 
um, but also included uh, public radio and public television, the historical society, um, as well as clean water and environmental advocates and hunting and fishing advocates and public space and park folks. Um, and all of those groups had been working kind of behind the scenes for probably a decade before that to try and figure out how to build this coalition. Uh, and so in 2008, it came together in this campaign. And in that election, Minnesotans passed, uh, we voted and passed a constitutional amendment that created a new sales tax. This is a three-eighths of 1% sales tax. It's called the Legacy Amendment. Um, and the thing that I think is beautiful about that is the sort of metaphor of it that by coming together and by focusing on the things that make Minnesota Minnesota and the things that are the reasons that we all live here and by coming together in collaboration and solidarity with all of these different things it gave everybody an entry point so uh, you didn't have to be a fisherman to vote for the legacy amendment similarly you didn't have to care about you know, theater or visual art or museums to vote for the Legacy Amendment. Maybe you care more about clean water or you care more about hunting and fishing in, in northern Minnesota. But you can kind of see that those things that you love about this place sit next to all of these other things that also are the reasons that people love this place. Mm. Uh, and I think that's such a powerful lesson, um, especially for those of us in the arts in terms of like, how we partner up and how we put ourselves into a conversation that's a little broader than just our own value, but really a kind of broader conversation about quality of life and quality of place. So that amendment created this three-eighths of 1% sales tax. 16% of that sales tax goes to support arts and cultural preservation. Um, so of that 16% of three-eighths of one cent, <laughs> half of that it adds up. It adds goes up. to the State Arts Board and Regional Arts Councils, which does add up to the tune of about $50 million wow. um, for each funding uh, period, which I think is a biennium, so two years. Uh, and it's a 25-year amendment, so it created all of these new funding streams for arts and culture organizations and individual artists. Um, we were lucky in Minnesota that we already had a state arts board and system of regional arts councils, so we had a system that that money could logically get dispersed through and reach all of the parts of the state. Because it is also, I think, super important that it's a it's not just a metro area amendment, it's a statewide amendment. There are other communities across the country that have done sales taxes or sometimes they're called millages um, to support arts and culture but they're usually just in the urban center and usually just for a set of the sort of largest cultural institutions like that's how it works in Denver um, and in Detroit they passed a millage to support just the Denver Institute of Arts um, which is their big museum so I think what's really special about the amendment here is that it, it is in coalition with all those other things and that it is really about the arts across the whole state and that that funding reaches every county in Minnesota and um, you know people have access to those opportunities so yeah it's one of those stories that when you tell it people are like oh only in Minnesota because <laughs> it does have that sort of um, you know there's something about the sort of at least what people think about as the culture of Minnesota is that kind of altruistic philanthropic like civic uh, civically engaged culture and it, it definitely fits with that narrative <laughs> yeah yeah in your travels across the country 
looking past just the uh, financial situation that we have in Minnesota, uh, what else do you see that sets us apart? Mm -hmm. um, for better, but also maybe uh, what do we not have here that other communities do have? Yeah, um, that's a great question. And I think, I mean, Minnesota does have kind of unparalleled systems and support. So that kind of the philanthropic and financial resources, but also just the systems that we have. And I mean, like within the arts and funding systems and support for artists. And, you know, we have all of these discipline specific service organizations like the Loft and the Northern Clay Center and the Textile Center, Center for Book Arts, and High Point Center for Printmaking. So like pretty much whatever artistic discipline you have, you have a very specialized place to go and continue to work on your craft mm. and learn. Um, and that's really unusual, <laughs> to especially for it to be so kind of comprehensive and widespread. So I think those things really create a kind of foundation here that's really special and that really allows organizations and artists to thrive here and in a way that I just doesn't exist almost anywhere else. I think that same thing that is one of our greatest assets is also one of the biggest challenges in Minnesota, which is that we're really good at systems and infrastructure, um, and sometimes that can kind of inhibit a more kind of DIY or scrappy, um, just figure it out kind of culture. I think sometimes, you know, innovation happens sometimes because you have parameters or you have limits and you're trying to figure out a new way to do things. Um, and so, you know, I go to a community like Detroit uh, where they aren't very good at infrastructure, you know, Detroit's had a lot of infrastructure challenges um, and system challenges and does not have that kind of robust support, especially from a governmental perspective. Um, but their arts community there is so innovative and doing so many interesting things. And it's really possible to just do things there in a way that um, you'd need to ask first here. Mm. Probably put together a task force and a committee <laughs> and talk about it for a while. <laughs> and, yeah. and in Detroit, you can just buy, like, there's a great organization there called Powerhouse Productions. It's run by a husband and wife who just started buying homes in their neighborhood because they were, you know, owned by the city and they were buying them for a few thousand dollars a piece and turning them into these art spaces for people to play music and for communities to gather. But they just started doing that. Mm. They didn't have to go get a regulation changed or spend a bunch of time, you know, putting together a proposal. They, they can just step out and do something. And so I feel like there are a lot of things that Minnesota could learn from those places that don't have as many resources. Um, and I'm really interested in how we do that kind of sharing and, and not get... Um, Minnesota can also be pretty sure that it's the best at everything, <laughs> which, you know, I, it's important that we recognize our assets and... and celebrate what we're good at, but I also think sometimes that inhibits us from learning what's happening in other places yeah. or really appreciating um, things that happen in a different way someplace else. We're also a little isolated here, which might play mm -hmm. into it. It's it's pretty far to, the, to another major city. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and we're kind of, I, culturally, we've sort of decided we're fine with that, <laughs> that like, we don't really need anyone else, and we're just going to be fine here on our own, and we're probably better here than everywhere else anyway, um, <laughs> which I think is not probably a super healthy uh, way to approach things. Like, there are cities, um, Detroit's one, but also, like, Miami, um, cities that feel ambitious to me, 
Like you just have this sense that people want more from their city. They want it to be more recognized. They want it to be more vibrant. They want more bigger, you know, and uh, that obviously also has a downside, but I don't, Minnesota's not ambitious in that way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess thinking about some of the podcasts that I listen to, or, or you see like billboards too, but you'll mm-hmm. see like visit or invest or like grow your business in Montana or Michigan mm-hmm. or like these different places. And it is uh, calling for that, that attention. Um, looking now to the individual, just because I know you have a lot of mm-hmm. people coming and going through the doors. Are there any um, specific avenues of creating a, a living and a life within the arts? This would be pretty generalized because everyone mm-hmm. is doing different things, but uh, young people in particular, are there any underused avenues that you think uh, people could be pursuing? You mean in terms of like... Supporting themselves. Careers and, and supporting themselves yeah, and stuff? Um, building, building a following or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. Hmm, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I think part of that goes back to where we started and talking about sort of my own experience. And one of the things we talk about at Springboard a lot is that you have to kind of know what your definition of success is and what you're trying to do. Hmm. Um, so whether that is, like for some artists, that is financial success, but other artists, it's a certain kind of social change or validation or community around your work or recognition. But you have to know what you're after in order to be able to build a career towards that or you know put goals in place and work towards that and i think sometimes for artists um, it can feel like you're supposed to be doing all of those things simultaneously and you have to kind of stop and think about which ones you actually care about like Mm -hmm. you know is it a big following that you care about or is it that you make your living or is it that you know you're trying to change some policy or you're trying to bring attention to a certain issue and how will you know if that's what you're successful or is it just about your own self-expression and your own ability to make work um so i think i mean that's a huge piece of it and that's not fixed either that's a like that's a thing as an artist that i think you have to keep thinking about your whole career and it changes sometimes what what you care about or why you're doing the work or what kind of work you want to make so I think that's like that's kind of the foundational stuff I think you know right now there's so much um, has happened in the last 10 years in terms of our ability to reach people you know online and through other kind of digital realms that I think for a lot of artists that really opens up the possibility that where you live and where the audience for your work is doesn't need to be the same place. Hmm. Um, And sometimes people make work that has an audience or finds an audience outside of their home community for whatever reason, but they're able to figure out that, you know, there are people in a different community or people that are dispersed across a lot of different communities that are, you know, really, um, that are their people. Uh, and I think, so I think thinking about like who, who are your people, who are those people who are going to love what you do. And maybe that's because they connect about, you know, a certain part of the content or because they have something in common with your identity or the sort of medium that you're putting your work out on is a platform that they engage with already. But I think thinking about those kinds of things and, and thinking beyond just, the kind of geographic circle of where you live and your home community is like your audience could be anywhere in the world, Um, (laughs) which is maybe kind of daunting, (laughs) but also is, I think, kind of liberating to think about like, oh, well, 
um, you know, I can I can figure out who those people are and, and how to find them. Yeah, you have the tools to find them, mm-hmm. definitely. Switching gears here, tell me about your media consumption, just because I'm <laughs> sure that you have to stay pretty up-to-date with uh-huh. everything, uh, both for your job here and the blog you write, in, mm-hmm. in just a way that I can't comprehend. You know, I, I'll uh, listen to podcasts, of course, page through a newspaper when mm-hmm. I have one, but how do you uh, look at things? Mm. I think I'm somebody that I, I look at a lot of different things and in a lot of different kind of formats. So I, I also listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, and right now I'm listening, I've been listening to a lot of kind of um, more kind of entrepreneurial or business podcasts. Um, I tend to like, I get interested in an issue um, and then I go and try and learn a bunch about that thing. And then it, what's one of the things I love about my job here is because we do so many different things at Springboard. Sometimes I can be really interested in healthcare and then I can go learn a ton about healthcare and figure out how to speak that language and who's doing interesting work there. And then I can, you know, get really invested. Like right now I'm really interested in ideas around local economies and how small business works in that context. And I can go learn and sort of absorb a bunch um, but I, so I listen to a lot of podcasts and I, and that's a great tool cause you can kind of find <laughs> content about whatever you're interested in. Oh, yeah. Um, and I read a lot of, um, you know, now that I've been doing this work for quite a while, I have kind of a network of people, um, in the work that I know. Uh, and so I tend to read a lot of stuff that's written by people I already know or already respect and value their judgment and opinion. Um, <laughs> That's one way to source your fake news. It's you know true. Right. From, you know exactly yeah. who's writing it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, social media helps a lot with that because I'm connected to a lot of people, a lot of my colleagues nationally through, you know, Twitter or Facebook or whatever. So I see, you know, stuff they're writing, but also stuff they're sharing and what they're thinking about and kind of try and pick up things that way to read. I don't have, you know, in terms of media consumption, I don't have like, like I don't get up every morning and read the Star Tribune or the New York Times. Like I sometimes read articles in the Star Tribune or the New York Times, but I don't have that like ritual of media of like I have to look at this thing every day. Um, I mean, I definitely, Twitter is a place where I pick up a lot of things (laughs) and sort of um, read a lot during the day. Uh, just articles and stuff that are kind of coming across there. And then I think, you know, I write, I do write a lot and I write a lot about our work and I write both because it helps us as an organization. It's part of my job to talk about what we're working on and to sort of engage in conversation. But that's also a tool for me that really helps me process what I believe in and what we're working on and what the big questions are in the work. And um, so that's been, that's as much when I'm writing about something, that's as much about me trying to figure something out and process it as it is about like telling other people what we're thinking (laughs) Mm. Um, and putting those things out and then getting people's feedback and reactions to them really helps me understand um, how the work works. And I think that's, you know, I talked a little bit about the beginning about my background in theater and how that's the sort of training that I have. And I think it kind of, that's one of the things that I know about myself is that, you know, in theater, you make work 
by doing it. You don't sit around and talk about it and then go do a play. <laughs> you have to get up and try it, right? Like For that sure. process of rehearsal of trying things out and bouncing things back and forth and collaborating with other people and then trying it again and seeing if it's better and trying it a different way. Um, that's the only way I know how to make things happen. <laughs> so I tend to try and put things out, um, even if they're not quite ready or not quite you know, fully formed or perfect, and then use feedback and other people's collaboration to make them better and to work on them until we get someplace. Um, and so that's, that's been a really useful tool for me in terms of how our work has evolved, both both in terms of writing and putting ideas out there, but also just, you know, we launch programs all the time that we're like, we have no idea if this is going to work, but let's put it out there and see what happens. Yeah. And we'll fix it as we go, or we'll change it, or maybe it'll be a dud. <laughs> we'll just let it, you know, sweep it under the rug. <laughs> yeah. Hey, but you learn from it. Right. That's the important part. Exactly. Let's and see, I uh... think there's a there can be a culture of in nonprofits especially of thinking that like you have to know everything before you put something out in the world and like really being careful about making sure that you've done all the planning and all you have all of your you know strategic plan and all of your budgets perfectly aligned and all of the funding lined up for at the at the front end and i feel like um, that really slows you down mm. Mm. <laughs> um, and it's part of why I think a lot of nonprofits get into trouble in terms of being in a cycle where they're not able to respond to the needs of their community because they're sort of so hemmed in by that cycle of planning and fundraising and yeah. needing everything to needing to know everything before you can actually put it out there. It's like boxing yourself in ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Like, all right, I'll build these walls around myself and now I'm going right. to start walking. Right. It makes it kind of hard. <laughs> it makes it kind of hard. Right. Uh, so, Laura, bringing it together with some rapid fire questions. Mm -hmm. If you could pass a piece of legislature tomorrow. Oh, gosh. What would it be? Like, <laughs> you, you can you can just pass any law tomorrow. Um, I would love to... Um, well, since, since it's hypothetical, I'll make it big. Um, I would love to reimagine what the uh, WPA looks like now. So during, you know, during and after the Depression, they passed the uh, Work Progress Administration where they put artists to work, essentially building public infrastructure. So murals and teaching in schools and like that was a government program that put artists to work, but put them to work in service of the needs of their community. Um, and so I would love, I think we need a new WPA for this um, set of challenges and, and opportunities that we have now. Uh, and so I w that's what I'd do. I would reimagine what that would look like for 2017. All right. <laughs> what advice would you give to your 18-year-old self? Mm. Anywhere around that time. Well, I guess relevant to our earlier conversation, my 18-year-old self, I would tell her to pay attention to your other classes. <laughs> <laughs> Theater is important, but some of those other classes are probably interesting too. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. Who else in this community? I know there's way too many to list, but top of your mind, who's doing good work? Who are you um, impressed by? I'll yeah. phrase it like that. I'm really impressed and inspired right now by Erin Murphy. She's running for governor. She's a state legislator and a nurse. Um, and 
I'm just really impressed and, and inspired by her interest in kind of hearing the stories that are happening in communities and being kind of bold and proposing big solutions and, and that somebody can take their experience as a nurse taking care of individual people and figure out how that translates into like a bigger political and policy context. So she really, um, I'm, I'm really excited about her and <laughs> inspired by her right now. Um, I'm also one of my favorite kind of inspiring things in the Twin Cities is the um, community of Hmong fashion designers that exist here, uh, really spearheaded and, and um, supported by Kathy Muchpao and Oscar Lee and a bunch of other really great women in that community who started uh, about 10 years ago now a, a fashion show called Fresh Traditions that invites designers to make collections with um, using traditional Hmong fabrics and textiles but with really contemporary edgy fashion and that's grown into this really cool scene um, and you know relevant to your earlier question Minnesota doesn't have a lot of things that feel like a scene <laughs> but Fresh Traditions feels like a scene um, and the, the sort of amount of work that those women have done to build that up and make it a thing um, is super exciting to me. Very cool. And finally, uh, there's no shortage of resources out there, especially on the Springboard website, but can you share a few links of where people can stay tuned with, uh, sure. with everything Laura? Uh, <laughs> um, springboardforthearts.org, that's our where you would find all of our local resources here in Minnesota. We also have a national platform called Creative Exchange, and that's at springboardexchange.org. Um, and that has a lot of really great profiles of artists working all across the country, um, as well as toolkits and resources. Toolkits. Yeah, uh, we love toolkits. <laughs> I love toolkits. I love your toolkits. Awesome. Uh, so those are those are great places to start, and we'll connect you up with a lot of other things. If you want to find me on Twitter, it's just at Laura Zabel. Cool. Well, thank you very much for the time. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. To learn more about Chance by Chance, please visit chancebychance.com. And while you're there, check out the support page. It is your support that makes this possible. Until next time, thank you for listening.